We are back here with Front Office You Fridays here with a, a special guest. But before we go over to him here with my co-host, RK, a.k.a. Ryan. Ryan, how's everything going today? Doing great today, Victor. Really excited uh, for today's episode. Nice to be back. Another Front Office You Friday, always a big highlight. Uh, and uh, from an organization we're very familiar with, with Kroenke Sports Organization groups uh, back on today's podcast. I know we had Patrick Buzzard on a, a little bit uh, a few months ago at this point, um, but that was a really fun episode. So nice to kind of dive into some familiar territory for us uh, on today's show. Yeah, we're always excited uh, to constantly um, go to Kroenke Sports when it comes to having guest speakers. They have really good people there. And so we're, we're excited to introduce this front office Fridays uh, with Tom Grossinger. How is everything going today? We're good. Everything's great on our end. You know, obviously we've got uh, a ton going on right now. We got three teams playing at the moment. We got a fourth kicking off the season uh, very, very shortly here. So uh, it, it never quite ends. The 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 roller coaster never quite stops. It's a full year. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I think our first home match, if I do recall, is against your guys is rapid. So, uh, well, obviously on my end, we want to win, but uh, nothing personally on on that end. We're, we're excited to have you on, but we're excited to to get right into it. So, to your college, you went to Colorado College. What was that decision like? Was there obviously? Um, decisions on the on the back end of like going to a different college or what kind of led to um, going to Colorado College? Yeah, I, I think it was a multi-layered decision, right? Colorado College is a is a really tiny school, 1,800 kids, uh, but also has a, a lot to provide and, and really awesome education. Uh, I was uh, I was a swimmer all through college and the opportunity to go and swim in college was a big one. Uh, but for me, I, I think I, you know, had a sense of wanting to work in sports even back in high school. Now, I can promise you I had no concept of what that actually meant, but I knew that I wanted to do it. And I had conversations with my parents at the time about being a sports management major. And and at the end of the day, where they pushed me was, hey, you don't know what you want to do. Go someplace where you're going to learn how to read, write, think, speak, right? Those sort of four key tenets to to everything. Uh, And that's what I gained from CC. And that was sort of my big focus is learning how to read, write, think, speak, and it's something that has served me well throughout my career. I think it's important you actually talk about that too, because when it comes to interviewing, right, you need to be able to, to um, speak at a high level. You have to write, obviously, a good resume to, to catch any um, kind of look at that, and then obviously read to be able to understand exactly what role you're going to get yourself into. So I think that's a great look at it. I, uh, being on the sports side, I didn't, never even thought about that until I took my first interviewing class and realized, wow, like, you need to do this or you're not going to be able to be, you know, one of the, the top potential, you know, candidates for a position. When it comes to you, you got a political science degree as well, which is obviously a little bit different route, but what kind of led you to at least get a political science degree as well? Um, was that something that you were like, hey, like, this is something I want to do. This will help with the reading, writing and speaking. Believe it or not, that's important, especially when it comes to politics. So curious on your thoughts there. Yeah, it seemed easy. Uh, it seemed pretty simple. So that's I, I don't have a great answer on the poli sci. And I get to ask this question all the time when we do you know, things like informational interviews. Like, what have you take, taken from your poli sci degree into your everyday life? I'm like, oh, absolutely nothing. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was, a, it was a good opportunity for me to, again, get into these situations with a really small school, you know, 13, 14 kids in a classroom 
And if you hadn't done the reading from the night before, and if you weren't able to defend the points that you wanted to make really quickly, uh, you were going to be in trouble and your grades were going to be in trouble. So from a sales perspective, in, in looking back, it was almost like I was handling my first objections and um, you know a lot of the things that we handle on a day-to-day -day basis. But I can't look back at myself at 19 years old and say, oh, I had that much forethought to understand that that's what was going to come from it. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it gave me a ton of skills uh, in terms of, again, the reading, writing, thinking, speaking. Uh, but no, it, it, the, the two and two does not equal four in terms of the decision making on that end. We, we like when uh, our guests are very honest and, and outgoing when it comes to <laughs> So, so we appreciate that. And I mean, like you said, those objections, right? In sales, you face objections no matter what call you're on, even when it comes to a member that's currently still a member and are asking to, to you know, maybe opt out on that end. So I think you, you know, bring obviously a lot of great points there. Um, when you were at Colorado College, what kind of sports experience did you get? Did you network? I know networking obviously has been very important here the last couple of years with the pandemic. Um, you know, shifting everything more virtually, but what kind of experience were you able to get uh, while in college? Yeah, I think it starts actually at the school itself. So, you know, CC is an 1800 kid school, but with a D1 hockey program and a D1 women's soccer program. So there was a lot of opportunities to help out the athletics department. Uh, everything from setting up sponsor signage at women's soccer games to uh, throwing out t-shirts from the ice at, at hockey games or there was a period of time where I would walk around with uh, the now defunct mascot of Colorado College, which at the time was called Prowler, which is just not a great name for a mascot. But uh, you know, at the time, there was a lot of that. And getting my foot in the door and being able to go into any interviews I had after there and say, I'm not a novice at this, right? I've been in sports in some small way. Uh, beyond that, I had some great internships. My first in internship was... Uh, with the Schaumburg Flyers, which was an independent league baseball team uh, that was drawing a couple thousand fans per game. At the time, it had four full-time employees and 18 unpaid interns. Uh, it was, I mean, it was madness, but uh, it was a really wonderful experience. Uh, and then I went from there to uh, the Chicago Sky of the WNBA on sort of a, a corporate partnership slash ticket sales internship. Um, but those for me, you know, I, I have a lot of conversations now um, with people asking what their internships should look like. And I think a lot of people get really obsessed with the brand. I want to go work for this brand or this team or this thing that I'm obsessed with. Um, but I loved, loved working for small teams. When I was with the Schaumburg Flyers, I was deweeding the warning track. I ran the press box on game days. Uh, our our play-by-play -play announcer at the time was an intern. It was Joe Davis, who now does play-by-play -play for the LA Dodgers. So pretty cool back then and, and you know, ran the press box. Uh, I did group sales. I ran the box office. You got to literally try everything and, and had to do them, right? It wasn't just watching, like had to actually go and do them. And by the end of that summer and the next summer, I knew what I actually took satisfaction from. I knew what was exciting to me and what I wanted that career to be. Uh, and it was all because I worked in these tiny little organizations that wanted that wanted and needed me to do a little bit of everything. Uh, and while that led to a lot of chaos and a lot of sort of insanity, it was also an absolute blast. It's incredible to, to look at that. Like it's 
in baseball, there's so much to do, right? Like it's not just selling. Like, I mean, Ryan knows this. He worked in baseball as well. Um, I didn't, I worked in hockey, minor league hockey, which is similar, right? You have to sell a lot of things um, on the back end, but being able to get that experience and, you know, with the, uh, you know, minor league baseball team, like you said, you're, you're doing group sales, you're doing, you know, concessions, you're, you're selling merchandise sometimes, which uh, believe it or not, is harder than someone might think uh, me included, <laughs> um, when it comes to that, um, as well as just the, the fact that like the brand, I, I think that's important for you to, you know, bring up is for me, the same thing is, yeah, brand can only do so much when it comes to like the development and you see players in sports. I always talk to Ryan about this is, you know, the development is so important and you don't want to just rush into something just because of a brand. Um, for me, it's, you know, going to a place where you can trust in those uh, managers or whoever's in place there to, to help you get to that next level. And obviously that was one thing for you. You're able to get that experience, get to your, you know, your first position um, with a, you know, bigger brand, right. And so the uh, Schwamberg Flyers moving to a, a bigger brand um, with the Yankees and I'll pass along here over to Ryan to, to call, cover that. Yeah. Appreciate that, Victor. Really good con- conversation and dialogue there. And as Thomas, Tom's background and kind of on that note too, I loved hearing Tom talk about that same note that Victor just brought up about, you know, not necessarily it being totally about the brand when it comes to your internships. Uh, and that kind of takes us into, you know, the ultimate brand with the New York Yankees. Like it doesn't really get much kind of, you know, bigger and brighter than that when it comes to some of the pro sports. So I kind of have a specific area I want to focus on as we, you know, first kind of dive into the Yankees here, Tom, and it comes back to one thing that I kind of took away out of my college experience. I was a marketing major. So similar to you, you know, sport management was something that I got through experience more so than just kind of the degree itself. Uh, But it was, you know, in doing marketing, I was able to find that you're always kind of selling yourself and whatever it is that you do, you're always trying to develop, you know, strong relationships with other people and networking, all things that you touched on too. So when it comes to, you know, that first kind of interview process and the application process with the New York Yankees, how did you leverage some of those internships that you had with, you you know, smaller brands, but, you know, selling yourself, selling the experience that you gained out of it. Uh, so kind of walk us through what that application and interview process was like so that you could sell yourself into becoming, you know, the next salesman of the New York Yankees. It, it was what I had done previously was absolutely everything. Uh, I, you know, the, the internship with the Chicago Sky was after my junior year of college. So I had one year left. Um, I made sure that in that year, I was first one into the office of the interns, last one out. I was the person who was always, always, always being annoying. Hey, what work do you have for me? Hey, what can I be doing? What can I be doing more of? And at the end of that process, uh, the VP of sales at the time said, hey, we'd love to have you back as an account exec. Come back to the sky as an account exec when you're when you're graduated. Um, it was, I, I, I honestly can look back and tell you I have no idea how I had the, uh, for lack of a better phrase, uh, cojones to do this, but I reached out to him in about March of that year. And I said, I'm not ready to come back. And I want you to help me find a job. Uh, and at that point, the, Brian Levine was the guy, uh, was our VP of sales. And he had come from the Florida Panthers. He knew a guy by the name of Chris Chopi. Chris Chopi was the premium manager at the Yankees. And Brian got my resume in front of him, said, this guy's good. He should be looked at for your inside sales program. And that got me where I needed to go, right? It got me with Dan Rosenthal, who was the inside sales manager at that point for the initial conversation. I flew out in about April of that year. uh, And there was 
I want to say 50 to 60 people all interviewing for the job in one day. And we all got put up in this, uh, it was the Audi club at the time, overlooking left field of Yankee Stadium, super intimidating, and got called in for 15-minute interviews in the morning. Uh, I had a 15-minute interview with, uh, with someone who was a sales manager at that point. I think he told me about himself for about 10, and I think I talked about myself for about two. Uh, and then they sent half of the people home. Hey, thanks for coming out. That's it. Uh, the second half of the day, I had another interview and then an interview with HR, uh, and that was it. I can tell you, if you ask anyone involved in that interview process, Dan Rosenthal included, he'll tell you, I stunk in that interview. Stunk. It was terrible. I was barely, barely, barely the last person that they picked to join that inside sales class. And the reason that they picked me was the recommendation that I had. So when you say, how much did it do for you? How, how did you leverage uh, that internship? I don't have a job with that, uh, without that inter internship. I don't have an interview. I don't have my name called, right? Like it, it is so incredibly massive. And I, and I like to use the names of the people involved in that because I look at those people as people I owe my entire sports career to, the entirety of it, right? And I cannot say again that I had this much forethought when I was starting out my career, but for those listening who are looking for advice, pick your mentors wisely. Pick the people that are going to lift you up, pick the people that are going to push you forward, and they have the ability to create an entire career for you out of nowhere. Uh, and, and without those guys, I, I'm absolutely nowhere. Yeah, wow, that that is an incredible story, Tom. And you know, glad that you made the cut. You know, one way or another, glad they didn't uh, leave you off, albeit you know not necessarily you know as you would kind of expect it. You know, crushing an interview, but it was much more the recommendation and you know having that word of mouth from someone who knew your work ethic, knew what habits you're able to put in. You know, meant more than you know the two minutes that you have to talk about yourself or you know the other like smaller interactions that you have in the middle of a really intimidating day. Uh, it ended up coming you know back to that recommendation that you had from someone who knew what you did, you know, like you said, those habits of showing up early, you know, being that person that's annoying and asking for questions, knowing that, you know, at some point the your, your superior is going to need some help. And if they're the first person that they have in mind, uh, you know, then that's going to create opportunity for you. So, you know, just putting yourself in those habits, even in, you know, unpaid internship situations with small name brands, you know, that might land you uh, a job at the New York Yankees. I mean, that's obviously an extreme example and worked out for Tom's case, but uh, definitely a really good lesson for all of us to take. And uh, kind of on that note, too. Don't want to, you know, fast forward too much through your time with the Yankees, but I grew up in Chicago as well. So I want to get into some of your experience you had with the Chicago Cubs as well. So first and foremost, let's kind of touch on, you know, how your experience with the Yankees kind of led you into a successful career and transition once you were able to move over to the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, I, I think the, the Yankees was such an interesting setup, right? I was the second ever inside sales class that they'd had. They were three years into a new building and really, really needed to sell it. But the product was priced in a way at that point where it was kind of like, if you want to be really successful, the way it was framed to me, you have to go and sell businesses. That, that's the way that you're going to bring revenue in. Um, and there was obviously a lot of other ways that you could try and do that that were short-term fixes. But for the long-term health of the organization, long-term health of your career, going and selling businesses was going to be the thing. So that's what I focused on from the jump right? Like my first sale was a $13,000 party suite to a business. 
that was like, that was the first thing I sold. Uh, and that was the thing I focused on all throughout Inside Sales, did that for seven months, moved up to season ticket sales and service where I was both managing a large book of accounts and also selling. And I really, really wanted to hang my hat on, um, you know, on B2B sales. So I sold my first sweet lease, couple couple months out of inside sales um, and, and really tried to, again, hang my hat on those being the types of deals that I got done. And when that opportunity came available in Chicago, you know, being a Chicago guy myself, um, understanding the Cubs brand, it was a little bit too good to pass up, right? It, I, it's easy now to remember who the Cubs are, right? One of the biggest brands in the country, in the world, one of the greatest uh, ballparks in the world, to my to my eyes, the best ballpark in the world. At that point, they were terrible. I mean, they were like a 95 loss team. They had one club space, terrible suites that smelled like hot dog water, uh, a completely unrenovated ballpark, and uh, a completely unrenovated area around the stadium. And they had pitched all these things that were going to be coming and having been with the Yankees a couple of years after the stadium had opened, the Yankee stadium had opened, I wanted to get out in front of it. I wanted to be a part of something that was going to be created and something that was going to be really cool. And, you know, when I went into those interviews with the Cubs, they were just starting out their sales teams. They didn't really have outbound sales teams at that point, but they were seeing the need for it uh, to get people ready for those renovations and being able to go to them and say, I'm not telling you that when I get this job, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to go from being a B2C seller to a B2B seller. I'm telling you I'm already a B2B seller. I'm telling you these are already things that I'm doing. Uh, and that really helped that transition a ton because when I got to the Cubs, the only things I was allowed to sell were sweet rentals, sweet leases, first couple rows of seating. Somebody wanted an upper level group, great, that's going to somebody else. Somebody wanted, you know, club level or you know, lower level fulls were sold out of those. You could only sell those massive projects or products and uh, that had to be done to businesses. So setting myself up for that with the Yankees really made that transition to the Cubs a lot easier. Yeah, that's really awesome to hear, you know, and kind of on that note too, like your role within the Cubs organization even kind of altered uh, over the course of time when you talk about the premier sales role as well as the corporate partnership side. So how would you kind of describe kind of the key differences in terms of your role and opportunity, you know, between those two positions that you had with the Cubs? Yeah, I, I think that moving from premium sales over to corporate partnerships is a tough one. And, and I'll tell you, I, uh, I struggled. I really had a hard time with that transition because I went from being top dog, number one seller, you know, nobody can top me. I know it exactly. I know exactly what I'm doing to a situation where I was selling, but I was selling something completely different with a completely different process and a completely different way of working it. Uh, and I had to rethink my entire sales process. And that took me and really took my ego a long time to get my head wrapped around right? Corporate partnerships is not about what I would call counting to 81. When you're in ticket sales in baseball, you're counting to 81. How can I, through a needs analysis, get you as a buyer to understand the value and the need of 81 games? That's, that's all you're doing, right? Like there's a lot of other things that go into it. I know I'm simplifying it, but really we're counting to 81. When you are in 
corporate partnerships, you're not just showing the value of these things. You're showing how it's different and better than every other type of media that they could be using, every other brand in the country that they could be using. And you have to come up with creative concepts that both move and stir the people that you're selling to, right? It's not just, hey, I'm going to slap your logo on something, which is absolutely how I tried to sell for my first year in partnerships. Hey, what if I slap your logo up there? And I was like, oh, why is nobody getting excited about this? Well, because it's not exciting, right? They have to get excited about a creative campaign, about a unique asset that they're taking over, about something that they're getting ownership of, about a proximity to a brand uh, that can speak to their values. Uh, and, and that's the big difference going from ticket sales to corporate partnerships. And again, something I really, really struggled with. Uh, it takes time. And, and honestly, if you see a really creative uh, corporate partnerships campaign, just think about all the time and effort it, it took for someone to put that together. And uh, you've got some amazing people on that end of the business. Yeah, really, really well done and, and explained on that, Tom. I think that was really educational for me, at least, and hopefully for a lot of other people at home. And uh, I think you you put it into great perspective when uh, it comes to, you know, first dealing with some adversity. Oh, why isn't this selling? I'm, I'm using your logo. I'm trying to showcase it. And then you get a little bit more critical thinking and uh, you're able to kind of develop those things, a little nuance into some of the sales process. I really enjoyed listening to that. So uh, on that note, I'll pass it off to Victor here. He's got some more questions on uh, some of the other experiences you've had in premium sales. I can definitely agree with uh, kind of having to pivot when it comes to different roles. I think that's something I had to pivot from selling season tickets to selling season tickets as well as servicing accounts. It's definitely a, been a change. And I think I'm finally grasping a little bit more knowledge each day, uh, especially through renewals and, and the top, um, you know, part of the, the season starting year around the corner. But when it came to the Chicago Cubs, obviously you moved on from that role to the NFL on location experiences. Um, did that come down with the connection as well? What what kind of, you know, in the big picture, what happened there? And um, obviously you're still working in more of a sport atmosphere, but just interested in like what that uh, position had to offer for you. Yeah, I, I think. You know, one of the big things for me in my career and in my career going forward is I want to work with great people. And I want to be around great people. Uh, and one of the one of the greatest people I know is my inside sales manager, Dan Rosenthal. Uh, and he reached out to me. There was an opportunity. Uh, they were building something really cool over at On Location at that point um, with some of the best sellers in the country from from various teams. And uh, that that was it. You know, it, it was it was this opportunity to go and work with some of the best and brightest and some people that. And I wasn't there that long. I was there 18 months and I was remote, right? I, a lot of people were in office. I was remote, uh, but I learned so much from some of the people there. Uh, it was such a great opportunity to be around some some amazing people. When, I, when it comes to sports, I feel like that's the number one thing is like the people you get to work around, get to, you know, build, um, you know, last longing you know, friendships and you never know, like you said, able to go from your inside sales manager and, and follow kind of in his footsteps of where he thinks, you know, thought it would be a good opportunity for you to grow. Um, but from there, obviously, like you said, you were only there for 18, 18 months and, um, you know, more remote. And then you were able to transition to, you know, the, the current uh, organization you're working for right now uh, with chronic heat. How did that kind of, did that come down to the same thing? I'm sure you're going to say, oh, it came down to, you know, the same, same, I, you know, inside sales manager who said, hey, you should work here. 
um, we got something great going. And, and obviously that's probably what it came down to, right? It, you know, it was a little bit of uh, people knowing people, right? It, it was a little bit of location. I wanted to be back in Colorado, right? It, it's one of the hardest industries in the world to pick your location. I want to live in a place, right? Well, there's only so many teams. There's only so many organizations you can work for there. Uh, and it came down to, again, being a part of growing something. Um, for me, yeah, as, I, as I thought about making my transition into management, there had been occasions where I could have gone and been the eighth inside sales manager, and there's going to be 14 that come after me, right? You're going to go in and you're going to be a seasoned sales manager, and your job is to just not rock the boat. Just keep the trains running on time. And that was never really something that got me excited. Again, like I was with the Yankees as they grew their inside sales program. I was with the Cubs as they really grew into a, a great sales culture. I wanted to be a part of something like that again. So uh, I came here to really be a part of the start of the business development team. Um, to give you sort of a, a, a background on this team, call it four years ago before I started there. There were premium sellers for the Cubs, or not for the Cubs, for the Nuggets. There was premium sellers for the Abs. There was premium sellers for the Rapids. They were all competing against each other. Hey, don't buy from the Nuggets, buy from the Abs. Don't buy from the Abs, buy from the Rapids. And as a business model, that makes absolutely no sense. And from a customer model, it makes no sense either, right? We're all emailing from the same at Team KSE email address. And you're going, what are all the, like, these three different people reaching out to me about, and in some ways competing against each other. So we built this department to be the one-stop shop for B2B sales for all four of our teams. Uh, and so when I started, it was the first days of this department, taking 10 of the best sellers from within this organization, dumping them into one room, creating new processes, new ways of looking at things. Um, new ways of interacting with the rest of the organization and the rest of the ticketing department. Uh, and there was a ton of work to be done. And that's why I wanted to be a part of it. It, it felt like growing something completely new. It's interesting you say that because I feel like a lot more teams and organizations are kind of shifting towards that route, right? Like you have your soccer teams where Orlando, they have their Orlando pride and uh, Orlando uh, City FC. They do things together when it comes to selling and like, here it's in Seattle, which believe it or not, it's kind of weird. You know, we have the OL Rain, but we don't sell tickets with the OL Rain. We have a lot of members like, hey, like, can I get OL Rain tickets from you? It's like, oh, that's a different department. So kind of going back to what you were saying when it comes to, you know, looking at that big picture of not having everyone compete against, you know, essentially the same organization, right? When you think about it, they're all under the same um, umbrella and being able to come together and figure out, hey, this is how we're going to execute uh, these specific teams and how we're going to to sell. Now, my follow-up question for that is like, obviously all the seasons are kind of, um, you know, throughout the season. So how, because how does that look like it when it comes to like the business development of like, are you reaching out to, you know, all the teams each day or how is that kind of set up? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a little bit of each team each day, but it's also prioritizing what you need to prioritize. Uh, I'll give you an example of where we are right now, right? We just went on sale with uh, nuggets, fulls, and halves. So yes, my reps have still been reaching out about abs. Yes, my, my reps are still working on groups and suites for the rapids and, and everything going on with that. But they know that right now, 
this is the time that they have to focus on this, right? We've got our home opener for the Rapids coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got some games that we have to move suites for, that we have to move uh, groups, that we have to sell some season tickets in some premium areas. That That is going to shift towards the focus. And then at the end of March, we're going to have our select-a-seat process for the Avalanche, which are sold out of season tickets. But they're going to know that they have to educate all their people going through that process. And, and we have to make sure that any given week, they understand what, what the goals are that they have to hit. They understand uh, what they're trying to accomplish. Because yes, every day we have to be hitting all four teams, but it's not always quite that simple. Um, you have to understand what is your big rock for that week and what are your smaller rocks. Kind of going back to like having matches, right? You have games and, and matches some days um, on that. And now follow-up question to that is like, do you work all the matches? How does that look like? Um, just as a more of the service side in me, um, what does that look like on an everyday basis when it comes to those uh, four franchises? Yeah, I uh, I worked probably including playoffs over a hundred games last year. Uh, I'm newly married and I'd like to stay married. So that number will not be over a hundred again. Um, obviously last year was a unique one. We had staffing issues. Uh, you know, I had, I had reps helping out scanning tickets, putting wristbands on in club Lexus because we wanted to provide as good of a atmosphere down there as we possibly could. Uh, I was at various points checking vaccine cards because we, we didn't like the look of some of the people that were checking those vaccine cards. We wanted it to be like a very premium feel when they walked in. We didn't want it to be someone in like a neon vest and like a, you know, like in, in jeans. Uh, that was a hard year, but it, it, it's not sustainable. So, you know, when we think about our reps, we try and really, really split out how much they're working on any given day or any given month um, to make sure that they are there at the important times for them, that they are scheduling out, hey, you're going to be here, uh, make sure that you're seeing all your season ticket members, your partial plans, you're getting a bunch of prospects out. Um, and obviously, they're able to come in on games that they're not scheduled. But, you know, my long-term understanding of this department is I could have my reps work 60, 70 games a year. Absolutely. 60, 70, 80. I'd also have them working for me for a year and a half. And then I'd have to go find new ones, right? If I want them to be long-term, happy, healthy, uh, and you know, we've got people with kids, we've got people who are married, um, who've got friends that they want to see. Like if I want them to stay long-term, I can't put that sort of burden on them. Um, so we need to be really smart about the games they're working. And we also need to be really smart about how often or how long they're working at games. Um, you know, you guys have probably dealt with this. I dealt with this early in my career, right? You're here before doors open and you're here till the seventh inning, no matter what, don't leave. And a couple, you know, before the end, you're just like, I'm, I'm sort of staying, I've done everything I've needed to do. I have no interest in somebody standing around. If the puck has dropped or the ball has been tipped, and you've seen everyone that you need to see, get out of here. I, I don't need you anymore. So that's how we sort of manage the chaos of what is across all of these teams. It's like 115 games, and that's before we get to playoffs. Wow, that was a lot to digest. I like <laughs> I like the, the the big look, though. Like, it, life, you know, having balance with with life and you know outside um when it comes to just 
meeting your your members or hitting those requirements i think it's really cool that you're like looking at the big picture of like what does my you know essentially looking for success what does that look for you know on my end but also when it comes to these reps or you know accounting executives who may have other things like you said uh you want to keep married so you want to make sure you you cut back on <laughs> on the 100 games and, and we won't i mean totally understand that's a valid reason uh, when it comes to that. And um, I mean, I agree with you with hockey. When I worked in the minor leagues, like you, like you said, like you work from 7 a.m., work till like midnight, and then you repeat the next day, right? You have double headers. Um, and, and unfortunately, like it burns you out. And like you said, like you don't want to constantly be hiring because that's also not ideal. You want to be that organization where people look at, like, I want to be in that organization. It's, you know, it's hard as heck to try to get in because of that. The community and just the the aspect of being able to um you know feel like you're heard right so um besides that i've, I've talked enough I'll, I'll pass it over here to ryan to, to kind of wrap up on the the chronic sports yeah no i really enjoyed that and tom already kind of dove into what the the next kind of part of my question was and in terms of some of his like management philosophies and you know being able to have kind of that understanding that human side that you know hey like yeah i'd love for people to be working for me you know all the time but there is that realistic side where it's like okay you've done all your work like you're kind of good to go so on that note it, just kind of diving into that a little bit deeper too, Tom, like once you kind of, once you got that initial role, you know, working back with Kroenke Sport and Entertainment and specifically as the manager of business development, like what was your kind of philosophy as it comes to being a manager and not even necessarily the, you know, nitty gritty logistics in terms of your sales process, but the people side as well. Like how did you kind of evolve in those two years, uh, you know, in that position as manager? Yeah, there was, there was a really big evolution in that time. You know, I, I think for me, you know, my my view of being a sales leader uh, begins and ends with the fact that I believe I am here to help my reps sell. They are not here to sell for me. I'm here to help them sell. And so what do I need to do in order to get them the best leads possible? What do I need to do in order to be in the rooms that they need me in, in order to help them get those deals across? What do I need to answer for them in order to help them get the right information over to prospects in order to get things closed? And how do I need to advocate for them in order for them to be the best possible employees they can? Um, so that's that's always been sort of the, the, the philosophy as a sales leader. Uh, you know, if you were to say, hey, listen, Tom, you, you leave the office for a week, how much does your team sell in comparison to a normal week? You know, it's probably like 95%, right? There's, there's one or two sales that they need an answer on, but I'm not around and they need to wait a week. If I'm in the office and all six of my reps are gone, our sales go down to 0%. Nothing gets sold, right? And, and, and you have to understand that difference uh, in order to understand how you should be treating your reps and, and how they should be treating you as a resource. Um, in terms of where that philosophy is and, and what has sort of evolved, I can tell you as a seller, I was always a hyper high activity seller. I was the 130, 140 calls a day guy with the Yankees. Even in premium with the Cubs, I was making 60, 70, 80 calls a day, uh, up to 100 some days. And that was something that I firmly, firmly believed in when I first came here. We pushed call numbers. We pushed activity. We made sure that people were grinding and hustling on the phone. The problem with that, this was right before COVID hit. I had a conversation with one of our reps, like we were heading out for the day. 
I was like, oh, how was your day today? He was like, oh, it's, it was good. I hit my call numbers. Like, well, that's not the that's not the point of anything, right? The, there are points where, especially with, you know, senior level reps like my reps are, there becomes a misunderstanding between what is the means and what is the end. The calls are the means to an end. They are not an end themselves, right? Neither are meetings, neither is pipeline. So we had to do, you know, myself and Nate Christensen, our, our vice president, this was about a year and a half ago, two years ago, we really, really stepped back and said, we need to adjust the entire way that we look at this. And we need to completely adjust the way that we are um, judging our reps, that we are showing them their priorities. Uh, and what we've come up with is what we would call like a, a hierarchy of expectations. And it starts and ends with revenue, right? They have revenue goals and they have revenue trackers that show them where they are in comparison to their goal and where they should be. If they are hitting their revenue numbers, you're not going to hear anything from me, right? That means, you know, these are senior level reps. They are doing the things that are necessary to get them that revenue. If they don't have the revenue, now we're going to start having conversations about their pipeline. Do you have enough pipeline in order to generate the revenue that is necessary? And if they do have the pipeline, but they're not generating the revenue, we can talk about what's wrong with the pipeline. How are we not closing? How are we not setting follow-ups? If they don't have the pipeline, okay, now we're talking about meetings. Are you taking and doing enough meetings in order to generate enough pipeline in order to generate enough sales? If you are generating enough meetings, but not enough sales, what's going wrong on those meetings? I'm going to try and come on some meetings with you. Are we not setting the right follow-ups? Are we not asking the right questions? And finally, if you're not setting enough meetings, now we're talking about calls. Now we're talking about emails. But it puts it in the proper place, right? The calls and the emails are only there to help you set up meetings, which are there to help you set up pipeline, which is there to help you close deals. And if you set it up in that way, I think it's much easier for, for reps to understand and to understand where you're coming from. I'm not going to come at anybody about their call numbers if their revenue is good. I, I you know, I, I've known the sales leaders and, and everybody does, right? Who it's, that's great. You made a great sale. How many calls do you have today? Well, that's missing the point. Uh, so that's that's been the massive uh, evolution on my end. And it was something that I had to really look, you know, inside of myself and and take a deep breath and, and understand that that's how we'd had to put it into play in order to have long-term success. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear that perspective from you as well as kind of how it was set up, you know, just having kind of a regular conversation with, you know, one of your uh, employees at the time and uh, really, you know, commend your ability to adapt as well, because I'm sure there would be, you know, plenty of other people that are, you know, too stubborn to kind of adjust and say, nope, we're doing it this way. I did it for all this time when, you know, I was coming up and, and we're going to keep it that way. So, uh, you know, I think being able to make those adjustments is a, is a really good sign uh, as well. And uh, kind of on that note too, you know, we saw another promotion for you uh, as well, moving into to the director role uh, with the same organization. So what was something that you needed to adjust to, uh, you know, when you were promoted to that director role, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago at this point? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the higher up you go, the, the less cover there is, right? The, the less safety net there is. And, and you have to be really buttoned up in your processes and, and the way that you're handling things. But it's also about just changing, you know, my view as a manager was really, really focused on my reps and their success and the success of that team and generating that revenue. Uh, as a director, it's gotta be about the products that I oversee, you know, our Club Lexus on the Avalanche and the Nugget side, Summit Club on the Rapids, our suites over there, 
uh, and making sure that we are doing what's right for that product and not just my team. And that means being as inclusive as possible to everyone involved in our organization who can be a part of selling that uh, to make sure that we are getting as many eyeballs on that product as humanly possible. Uh, and also creating things that are going to live across not just my team, but all of those teams as well, whether that's trainings, um, whether that is uh, you know various different things that we can do that are going to include them, campaigns. Uh, it's got to be a little bit more broad thinking. And that's been the biggest change is it's not just about the six people in that room over there. It's about everyone in the building and how they can help us hit our goals. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's really awesome. Loved hearing, you know, all of your insights uh, on that and, you know, continuing to evolve too. Well, it's exciting to see where things can kind of go from here uh, as well. So really enjoyed that side of it, Tom. But uh, at this point of our podcast, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. We're going to head over to our Flash Friday segment. So at this point of the podcast, Tom, we have to put you on the hot seat. We have a couple of questions to let our listeners get to know you a little bit more away from, you know, the uh, hockey rinks and, and the basketball courts, uh, you know, a, a, away from the desk uh, as well. So my first question for Flash Friday, I got to go back to the city of Chicago. We have that in common here, at least in some capacity. So what is your favorite restaurant in the city of Chicago? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Oshaval guy, uh, Oshaval Burgers. Uh, there's a really phenomenal restaurant in the West Loop called Next, uh, which is a Michelin-starred restaurant. So I don't want to sound too pretentious, but it's phenomenal. Uh, and they change their concepts every couple of months. Uh, but I'm going to go a little bit off of those. Those are like two answers you're going to hear everywhere. There's a there's a restaurant in Lakeview called Fish Bar. And it's not like the most high quality restaurant in the world, but phenomenal service, really great drinks. Uh, they've got a, a crawfish po' boy that is to die for. And I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> Okay, that's a great answer. I mean, I think Chicago, I'm very biased, you know, being born and raised in the Chicago suburbs, but I think Chicago is the best city for food uh, out there. So I mean, you got plenty of good options uh, every single time that you do. I've got one more Flash Friday question, but I'm going to pass it off to Victor so he can get his in uh, at this point right here. Yeah, so you talked about being a being a swimmer here. So this is, uh, it's got a two part question. First uh, question to it is, uh, if you were to race in a swimming competition um, where you would actually win, believe it or not, anyone, any swimmer, you can, Michael Phelps, that's the only person I can remember right now just because I haven't watched swimming for a while. Don't put me on blast there. Um, but who would you uh, would want, who do you want to race against? And then when it comes to that, where would you want to have that race when it comes to swimming? Oh, man. You said I can win it? Or I'm gonna like the, the results are the results. The the, the results is, is you're gonna win, but the, the tough part is where are you are you gonna have it? Who are you gonna go against? Because you don't want to go against some person who's you know washed up, obviously. Sure. Uh I mean <laughs> I've been in a pool with Phelps. I've swam against some Olympians, I've swam against like Matt Grievers, uh, who's a Northwestern guy. Uh they would all torch me. Now the the best swimmer in the world is Katie Ledecky. Uh, and so swimming against Katie Ledecky would be great. I'm not going to like sit here and be like, oh, I could, like, she would demolish, demoralize, lap me multiple times. It wouldn't even be close. Um, you know, there's, it, it's funny because a lot of like the best pools that they set up in the world are these, uh, temporary pools. They'll set them up for like the Olympic trials or whatever. Um, but I would, I would actually do a, a throwback. One of the best pools in the world is at Indiana University, P Purdue University, Indianapolis, IUPUI, 
uh, has one of the best pools in the world. I used to swim there growing up. So it's me versus Katie Ledecky at uh, IUPUI. Get, get your tickets. You gotta you gotta sell them. Sell them yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'm selling them for. Uh, I'll pay you ten dollars. Hey, that that's huge. That's good marketing right there. You're you're making them come in butts and seats is what we like to talk about in the sports industry. Um, I'll pass it back to uh, Ryan for his last question, and I have one left as well. All right, we're we're trading spots, Victor. I like the the chemistry we got going on. All right, Tom, my last Flash Friday question: What is the best advice that someone else has ever given you? Uh, I'm gonna go with uh something that my current VP Nate Christensen says to me probably twice a week, uh, which is uh be the thermostat, not the thermometer. And and I actually gonna give you two pieces of advice. So that is one of my favorites, right? Don't be the person that is being, you know, the, the room gets really hot. People are upset. You're getting upset as well. Be the person that that sets the temperature, right? If you're cool, calm, collected, everyone around you is going to be cool, calm, collected. Uh, I'm going to actually, this is not given to me, but one of the other ones that I like to, to give out to inside sales reps or young people in their sports career all the time is actually a Joe Madden quote, uh, former Cubs manager, which is don't let the pressure exceed the pleasure. And what I mean by that is in, in this business, it's fun. We work in sports. It's amazing. Don't let the pressure of goals or the pressure of sales that you have to hit or deadlines you have to make uh, exceed the pleasure of working in sports. Because once you do, it's not worth it anymore. Yeah, wow. Those are awesome advice. Actually, a fun story about that thermometer, thermostat, thermometer quote. We, but I, I work, you know, for a uh, women's hockey team over at Colgate University, and we had one road game this year when we were playing at Harvard. And I remember we were kind of chatting, uh, me as well as some of our coaches before the game. We're like, what's, what's like, we always chat, like, what's like the message for our, uh, our team here? Our, our head coach always say, and one of our assistant coaches said the, the thermostat thermometer quote. And first period, we came out flying. I think we finished up three nothing in the first period. And we were like, we got to save this one for like another special occasion. Like, the, I don't know what it is, but like, it got our team fired up and, and we ended up winning the game. So, I mean, I guess it works. I guess it's great advice. I, I think they definitely are onto something there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's perfect. We'll go with that. All right, Victor, back to you for your last one. So my last question is actually pretty not as hard as the, the other ones that were are there. So I'll give you that benefit of the doubt there. Uh, my last question is if you, when you're not in the office, um, obviously, you know, hanging out with your wife, you know, hopefully, right? <laughs> Um, when it comes to that, what do you do outside the office that maybe, uh, actually I'll rephrase it this, what's something you do outside the office that none of your reps know that you do a hobby, a, a sport that you watch or something? I'm an open book. I don't know that I have anything that they, that they don't know that I do. Uh, I have snowboarded for most of, you know, my adult life at this point, I just picked up skiing for the first time a week and a half ago. My wife and her whole family are big skiers. So I decided to try it. Uh, it is uh, a deeply depressing situation to be like, I could get down that super easily on a snowboard and yet I am falling all over the place in the skis. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a runner. I'm going to be doing my second marathon uh, this coming October in Chicago, uh, which is going to be great. Uh, and I am an avid supporter of, uh, of any number of sports teams. So, you know, I can't, I can't say that that's a, that's a shock to anyone really. Um, I will say during the pandemic, and I don't know if my reps know this one, uh, you know, it was a slow time in sports. There wasn't a lot going on early days. I hosted trivia every Wednesday for my friends for 15 weeks and wrote the trivia as well. So uh, also slight trivia master.
Give, give us uh give the listeners a little question of a trivia question. Off the top off, off the top of the dome, I have no idea. Um, it was always themed round. So you, I mean, it, it it depends on the theme. I don't have a I don't have a great for, one for you right off the top. No, no, no worries. I, I put a lot of pressure there. You could be <laughs> a new uh, new game host here, though. You never know in your uh, local Colorado uh, area. Yeah. Out for for Tom out here um, hosting trivia Wednesdays or something around those lines. There you go. Um, but besides that, we're uh, you know obviously happy to, to have you on the the podcast here. Um, before we let you go, uh, where is our or when it comes to our listeners, where can they find you? Um, LinkedIn or or what's your preference when it comes to getting in contact with you and obviously learning more of your your career journey as well as just the the helpful advice you've given us here today. I'm on LinkedIn, so feel free to reach out to me there. Um, I'm also a mentor in the Clubhouse, so you can sign up uh, through the Clubhouse. I have a Calendly via there, so you can just throw time on my calendar to have a conversation. I'm always happy to chat. It's that easy, folks. Just uh, reach out to him on Clubhouse, and he already has a schedule up there. So the hardest job you have to do is obviously prioritize your time for um, the selected time slots he has there. But again, Tom, it's been an honor being able to uh, have you here on the podcast. And believe it or not, uh, something to let our listeners know, we we haven't talked to Tom before. So it shows you how we're still you know networking out there as well. There's, you know, for us, when it comes to, to reaching out to professionals and professionals reaching out to us, we're trying to obviously continue to, to help everyone who listens to the podcast. But with that, we end our uh, front office Fridays here, and we're excited to keep it going. Mm-hmm.